Hello and welcome to another episode of A Brother's Creed Podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared, the other brother. And today we're talking about something awesome. Ethan and I are doing this uh, new thing this year, where every quarter uh, we're going to do a story, but it's told in like a theatrical way. We've done this in the past with with several stories, uh, especially when we've collaborated with The Virtuous Men. We've done that a couple times. We do, we've done it when we've done like Halloween episodes. Uh, it's where we make it like the old timey uh, radio, you know, where you listen and there's music and sounds. Uh, and so it's a little bit more in-depth storytelling. It definitely takes a lot more time on our part, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And it's, and it's really cool to produce something that's uh, a little more productionalized, I guess you could say. A little more produced, not productionalized. Yeah, but a little build, more produced. Builds the, builds the scene, builds the ambiance a little bit more. Exactly. So uh, it's pretty fun. Today we're going to talk about famous brothers, uh, famous brother duos. So obviously Ethan and I are the most famous brother duo, so we couldn't <laughs> do that one. Uh, although I don't think we've really told our story um, on here. Just through a no, series. I mean, bits, bits it, and pieces of it. Through 125 uh, episodes, we've told our story. <laughs> bits and pieces along the way. Uh, th- through all those, you can aggregate the type of men that we are. <laughs> Um, so this is a good one. Ethan, Ethan and I both recorded, you know, eight or so minutes of, uh, of a little clip and we're going to share those and then talk about them. And so uh, it should be fun. And uh, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, let's do it. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Most valuable commodity I know of is information. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Either you're somebody or you're nobody. You're not the devil. You're practice. Okay, so uh, we got we got some good stuff here today. I'm excited. I did. Uh, should we do mine first? Yeah, sure. O- over the over the past little while, I mean, we've done several different types of these episodes. We've done an episode about famous duos. Mm-hmm. We've done an episode on, uh, you know, kind of partnerships and history and everything else. Uh, but but this one specifically was around brothers. Yeah, we thought that was kind of a cool little uh, addition to you know family and brothers working together to accomplish a goal. Yeah, it, it is cool. Uh, initially, we one of the ideas we had was around uh, doing uh, famous spouses, so husband and wife. Uh, but as we actually kind of, I, I don't know about you, Ethan, but as I actually kind of dug into the history of like famous people who are married, it ended up getting kind of creepy and weird. Uh, it was, and everybody gets divorced. Everybody got divorced. It was mostly their second wives. And this a shocking amount of like people that were married to like 14, 15 year old girls is like kind of shocking. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not covering any of those people. <laughs> uh, but uh, one I looked at was Annie Oakley. That was the one I was almost settled on. But the guy who he had left his wife and three, three kids and then he was on a shooting tour around the country. He shot against a 15 year old Annie Oakley. She beat him. He marries her like the next year uh, when she's like 16 years old. And I was like, that's creepy. 
Uh, and then they're married, they're married for like 60 some years. But I was like, that's kind of weird that like a mid 40 year old guy who has abandoned his family and is touring the countryside with a circus marries a 15 year old girl. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, let's change it to famous brothers. Then we don't have to talk about yeah, creepy well, old guys. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm sure there's some famous uh, couples out there. Maybe we just need a little more digging. Maybe, yeah, maybe just, so. uh, maybe next year for Valentine's Day, we'll do that. Have an entire year to, uh, Dig into it a little bit. Maybe Celine Dion and her husband. Oh no! Oh no! Wait. <laughs> Maybe Woody Allen and his wife. Oh! Oh no! 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 <laughs> yeah. Anything in Hollywood? Anything in Hollywood is just out. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but the Famous Brothers. Hey, you got some good stories. So mine, I've had a disclaimer right off the bat. Uh, I hate disclaimers. Maybe actually, I'll get the disclaimer at the end. Uh, and if you don't know what it is, you'll probably know by the time I I I, I play it. Uh, but this is about uh, a really cool pioneering time in history uh, during the kind of mid mid to late 1800s when people took to the skies. So I'll preface it with that, and I'll play my clip for you here. As Joseph Montgolfier sat around the crackling fire, his mind began to think about the great military issues of the day. The assault on the fortress of Gibraltar had proved to be impregnable from both sea and land. As he pondered this dilemma, he began to think about the rising embers of the fire and how something within the smoke created a special property he referred to as levity. He wondered if this principle of levity could be used to assault an impregnable city like Gibraltar from the air. His imagination ran wild with the possibilities of human flight and the observations he just made. Joseph was the 12th child of 16 to a family in the paper mill business. Joseph was a maverick and a dreamer, but was impractical in business and his personal affairs. Joseph was described as being a shy individual who was generally unkempt in his appearance. From Joseph's mid-30s on, his interest in the aeronautics was known to all those around him. He once created a parachute for himself and jumped off the family house to test it. At age 42 in 1782, Joseph created a box-like chamber in a 3 feet by 3 feet by 4 feet deep box that he covered in paper. After lighting a fire under the box, he was amazed that it rose up into the air and collided with the ceiling. Joseph believed that the smoke itself was buoyant and contained special gases, which he called Montgolfier gas. Full of excitement, he wrote his older brother, Etienne. He said, Get in a supply of taffeta and cordage quickly, and you will see one of the most astonishing sights in the world. Etienne and Joseph had their first public display of a heated air balloon in September of 1782. The public demonstration was in the marketplace of Ananay. The tethered balloon rose 3,000 feet up and landed 10 minutes later in the same spot. After experimenting with animals and their balloons, the King of France, Louis XVI, wanted to send men into the air. His idea was to send two condemned criminals into the air in case something happened. If they fell to their deaths, it would be just. Jean-Francisco Rosier convinced the king to send up someone more honorable to mark the first manned, untethered flight into the heavens. He was convinced and sent Rosier and Marquise de Alandres a scientist and a high-born soldier instead. 
In preparation for the manned flight, about a month before, Joseph Montgolfier did a test-tethered flight on his property and was the first human to ever lift off the Earth in a balloon in a tethered flight. Later that day, physicist Rosier did a tethered flight himself. The balloon design for the upcoming manned flight sported a rich decorative touches of gold figures on a deep blue background, including fleur-de-lis, signs of the zodiac, and suns with King Louis XVI's face in the center interlaced with the royal monogram in the central section. Red and blue drapery and golden eagles were at the base of the balloon. On November 21, 1783, the French king, Marie Antoinette, and all of Paris waited in anticipation to see the event. The two passengers stood by as the Montgolfier brothers prepared the silken paper 75-foot-tall and 50-foot-wide balloon. The Montgolfier brothers were depending on their balloon to perform. Their family's paper business, their reputations, and these men's lives were at stake. The two passengers smiling and waving to the gathered crowds had concerns of unknown altitude-induced illnesses circling in their minds, which most certainly made their hands begin to sweat. No man before this point in history had broken from the bonds of earth to soar towards the heavens. The threat of ascending into a never-ending sky, as well as the possibility of falling to an ugly death, loomed heavily in both their minds. Benjamin Franklin himself witnessed the event and described it as such. We observed it lift off in the most majestic manner. When it reached about 250 feet in altitude, the intrepid voyagers lowered their hats to salute the spectators. We could not help feel a certain mixture of awe and admiration. Marquis, the soldier, described his experience within the balloon basket. I was surprised at the silence and the absence of movement which our departure caused among the spectators, and believed them to be astonished and perhaps awed at the strange spectacle. They might well have reassured themselves I was still gazing. When Rosier cried to me, You are doing nothing, and the basket is scarcely rising a fathom. Pardon me, I answered, as I replaced a bundle of straw upon the fire and stirred it slightly. Then I turned quickly, but already we had passed out of sight of La Mouette. Astonished, I cast a glance towards the river. I perceived the confluence of the Oaz, and naming the principal bends of the river by places nearest them, I cried, Passy, St. Germain's, St. Denis, Servis. If you look at the river in that fashion, you will likely bathe in it soon, cried Rosiers. Some fire, my dear friend, some fire. The sound of the city and the crowd had faded at the, as the balloon climbed to roughly 3,000 feet. At that height, only the wind and the crackling fire were audible, which created a unique experience few have felt. Another aeronaut of the time described the feeling of touching the heavens. Nothing will ever equal the moment of joyous excitement which filled my whole being when I felt myself flying away from the earth. It was not a mere pleasure, it was perfect bliss. Escape from the frightful torments of persecution and of calumny, I felt that I was answering all and rising above all. To this sentiment succeeded one more lively still, the admiration of the majestic spectacle that spread itself out before us. 
On whatever side we looked, all was glorious, a cloudless sky above, a most delicious view around. While in flight, the embers of the fire began to scorch the balloon fabric. The two men knew that if the balloon caught on fire, they would certainly fall to their deaths. They began to dab out the fire with wet sponges, but the fire would not go out. Rosier, seeing the potential of catastrophe, took off his coat in a hurry and extinguished the fire. The balloon began to descend and landed safely 25 miles outside of Paris between two windmills and a vineyard. The two men embraced in triumph after the amazing feat, in relief after the most unusual brush with death they had ever experienced. Legend says that the two passengers carried with them bottles of champagne to give to the locals who would certainly think this was the work of demons. The two drank champagne after landing, which is a tradition held by balloonists to this day. The Montgolfier brothers would continue to make balloons for adventurers who dared to reach for the sky. The brothers continued to invent other products as well, like transparent paper, a self-acting hydraulic ram, and more. The Montgolfier Company and Annonay still exist to this day, but under the name of Canson, which was the last name of the son-in-law who took over the business. The company produces fine art paper, school drawing paper, and photography paper that is sold in over 150 countries worldwide. The company has preserved its historic past and legacy with its logo being that of a hot air balloon. The legacy lives on. Indeed, the legacy does live on. So, uh, for those of you uh, who don't habla a French, <laughs> uh, neither do I. So, I butchered a lot of those names in there. Uh, I tried to get some of them right. Uh, others, I did not get right. Others, I pronounced one way. Like Marquis, I pronounced as Marquis uh, at first, and then I pronounced it Marquis, which I was supposed to pronounce it later. Um, so yeah, it just, uh, but you get the gist of it. You know, I didn't need to go speak French the whole time to get, to get the gist of the story. Uh, and I think it's pronounced Montgolfier instead of Montgolfier. But um, I was, uh, I had my wife listen to it. <laughs> After the fact, I'm like, hey, what do you think? And she's like, it's good, except for you pronounced half the names wrong. And I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, and at that point, I couldn't redo the whole thing because I had like, I was really sick. You probably, you might have noticed in there that my voice changed uh, from being normal to like being like this. And it's because I had been sick uh, and I had recorded most of it earlier. Then I had to go back and like edit some. And it would have been weird if I would have gone back and edited every single name differently. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was kind of cool. I didn't even really think about it, but they were using like, like actual like wood and stick, like like oh yeah, straw straw fires. Yeah, in fact, they 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 thought that it was the smoke that made it rise. Yeah, Yeah. you think it's uh, you know, hot air balloons today they use these uh these big propane burners and stuff that that shoot flames into it, but yeah, just by using like straw and stuff that, that smokes a lot. That's that's really interesting. It's that's so interesting. Uh, Rosier, the guy who, uh, who was uh, I had discussed, who was the kind of the physicist, uh, he ended up dying in a hot air balloon crash like three years later. After that, uh, he tried to cross the English Channel and he died. 
Uh, the other guy, I think he ended up committing suicide uh, several years later. Uh, but interesting how these people's stories kind of unfold as you, as you look at some of this stuff. At the time, helium, or not, excuse me, hydrogen had just recently been invented. So um, that one quote that I shared from that other balloonist, uh, that was from yeah. a, a hydrogen balloonist. That, and that was just like maybe four or five years later. Um, but the actual quotes that I was talking about when they were going back and forth, like in the in the balloon, those are actual quotes from what they said. Oh, really? They like wrote them down. Yeah, like he's like back and fire, forth and... like help me. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're we're barely even rising here, and he's like the soldier, just like Marquis, just like looking around. He's like, oh, there's the river. Oh, there's the stuff. This is so he's like waving <laughs> to the, the river, cr- waving yeah. to the crowd and stuff, and he's like, dude, I, I need help. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's it's so funny. Um. Anyway, I think it's just so cool that those that was kind of like the first untethered balloon flight. Uh, and then uh, Joseph Montgolfier, uh, he was the one that did the first tethered balloon flight. So pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool history when kind of and that this was kind of the start of balloon balloon mania uh, in France, in France at the time. And also America, too. Uh, it, that came to America uh, later. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, especially two brothers able to kind of start a little bit of a, a I don't want to say revolution but um invent something kind of an, yeah. an, an era an era of of something that's um an era of that had never been seen before is that yeah. interesting that they two brothers started the era of flight with balloons and then you get the right brothers who started the era of like flight you know yeah it's kind of cool yeah it's really definitely. cool so what you, what you got, brother? All right. So so the brothers that I did um, were uh, maybe not so uh, reputable, let's say. Uh, I did Frank and Jesse James, the Notorious Outlaw Brothers. Um, we can get into it, but uh, there's so much history on these two, and mainly Jesse James is kind of the... Right, the name that everyone knows, uh, but his older brother Frank, who I think was about six years older than he was, um, don't quote me on that, but it was a- around there. Um, definitely had uh, a very good relationship where they kind of relied on each other through through thick and thin, mm-hmm. and so uh, we can go ahead and get into it, and then we'll talk about it after. Excellent. Here we go. Frank and Jesse James were two of the most notorious outlaws in American history, known for their daring bank and train robberies in the late 1800s. Despite their criminal reputation, the bond between these two brothers was strong, a bond that made them stronger in the face of adversity. The James brothers grew up in a time of great turmoil in the American South, and their family suffered greatly during the Civil War. Their father died when they were young, and their mother was left to raise them on her own. Despite their hardships, the brothers grew close and looked out for each other.
One day, as children, they were playing near a raging river when Jesse fell in and was swept downstream by the strong current. Frank, help me, please! Jesse, hold on, I'm coming! Frank, seeing his little brother in danger, jumped into the river after him, risking his own life to save Jesse. You're okay, I've got you. This act of bravery and selflessness cemented the bond between these two brothers and showed the lengths that they were willing to go for each other. Frank was the older of the two and took on the role as protector and mentor to Jesse. He taught Jesse how to shoot and ride horses, skills that would serve him well as a future outlaw. The two became known for their quick and daring heists, pulling off daring bank and train robberies with ease. But despite their criminal reputation, the bond between these two brothers was never broken. One of the infamous bank robberies by Frank and Jesse James was known as the Great Northfield Minnesota Raid. The two brothers, along with several other outlaws, attempted to rob a bank in the town of Northfield, but the plan quickly went awry. The townspeople fought back and the James brothers found themselves on the run with a posse hot on their tails. Despite being outnumbered, the two brothers stuck together, relying on each other for protection and support. The pursuit continued for several days, with Frank and Jesse managing to stay one step ahead of the posse. Eventually, they were cornered and forced to face their pursuers in a final showdown. Frank was shot and injured, and Jesse carried him to safety. Remembering the words his older brother had said to him all those years ago. You're okay. I've got you. The two brothers managed to make it out alive, but the raid marked the beginning of the end for their outlaw career. After years of adventures, Frank decided he was ready to retire from a life of crime, as they and their gang were being hunted by the authorities and bounty hunters, making it increasingly difficult for them to continue their criminal activities together. The end was upon them. After years of being outlaws, the James gang was experiencing internal conflicts and infighting, which led to the demise of Jesse James.
As the rumor goes, Jesse James was shot and killed by Robert Ford, a member of his own gang, on April 3rd, 1882. Ford shot Jesse in the back of the head while the outlaw was in the process of straightening a picture on the wall of his own home. There have been many rumors over the years that Jesse James faked his own death and went into hiding to escape the law and to start a new life. Frank James later stated in an interview about his brother. I have no desire to avenge Jesse's death. I know that he lived a dangerous life. I have always feared that this would be the end for him. I just hope that the memory of Jesse will be remembered for the good things that he did and not just for his life as an outlaw. Is it possible that James had no desire to avenge his brother's death because he knew he was still alive? The story of Frank and Jesse James is a tale of two brothers who face challenges and adversity together, relying on each other for support and protection. While their criminal activities are often the focus of their legacy, the bond between the two brothers should not be overlooked. It is a reminder that relying on family can make us stronger and that no matter what life throws our way, we are never truly alone. Very good. I recognize some go. voices in there. That was great. <laughs> I thought I'd uh, bring, bring bring some other characters into the mix. Hey, that was good. So it sounded like Frank retired or stopped, uh, and then uh, Jesse kept going. Is that what happened? Yeah. So Frank, uh, yeah, Frank kind of got out, and um, he actually was <laughs> he was arrested uh, later on, and he went to trial, and he was actually acquitted for everything really uh yeah surprisingly enough um so he was hold him or something yeah so he was kind of a uh a free man and um he had done some interviews uh, later on in, in in life and they asked him about his brother but yeah jesse was still kind of in the mix of the gang uh whenever they were having trouble and everything was kind of going south and and uh then he ended up catching one in the back of the head while he's straightening a picture, supposedly. Almost seems like too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, supposedly. Of course, if you shoot someone in the back of the head, it blows their face out, so you can't really ID someone whose face is blown out. Yeah, and and they there's a lot of the ambiguity around that. I, I don't know all the specific details, um, but I think they like, buried his body before they could turn him in and then but they had like taken a picture or something like that that was from really far away and so you couldn't really see it was all grainy and um 
and obviously old photography was terrible too. And so, um, and they had, so they had had something of his that kind of like proved that it was Jesse. So I don't know. There's all these questions about it. I think there's but something I was, similar about Billy the Kid. Isn't there something similar about Billy the Kid? Yeah, yeah. But I just thought it was interesting how there's an interview with Frank and he and his older brother, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I have no interest in avenging Jesse's death." Right? He yeah. he lived a life of crime. He knew what he was getting himself into. But as I was reading that, I was almost like, "I wonder if he knows that Jesse's out there just like chilling." If you anybody know? did, it would probably be him, right? Yeah. And so he's just like. Mm. Oh, whatever. Let yes. let him do his thing. Oh well, you know. He, he let bygones be bygones. He definitely died. He he most definitely died. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought it was cool. I I liked the uh, the story of them too, and and kind of from the story of them as little kids and watching out for each other and how, um, you know, Frank was was a little bit older. He wasn't, you know, like I said, he was. I think he was about six years older, and so he trained him trained jesse in a lot of the things as their dad had died yeah um and uh you know they they actually served uh together in the civil war and there's a whole bunch of stories there too uh so really cool story oh so they were actually i thought they were kids during the civil war maybe their dad died in the civil war no so their dad had died before but yeah they uh they kind of grew up um they were veterans i guess uh, of the civil war um from fighting on the south and so they came back and that's one of the reasons why they kind of went into um a life of being outlaws was because they came back and the situation was just so poor Dire. i mean everybody yeah everybody in in especially the south was um just persecuted become be, you know so much and and he kind of became uh like a robin hood type Mm -hmm. situation you know steal from the rich and give to the poor and so he would um there was kind of a whole group of people in in townsfolk or whoever else that would help them help them escape they would uh, uh give them room and board and they would protect them and uh, different things like that, and they would the the James gang would help them out. They would yeah. leave money and everything else. And there's one story where where Frank and Jesse were actually on the run together, and they ended up going into uh, somebody's barn, and the owner came out with the shotgun and was going to shoot them, but they said, you know, please don't, please don't shoot us or whatever. And then um, the guy invited him into the house, and um, kind of put him up for a couple of days and protected him. And the brother said, "One day we'll we'll pay it back to you. You know, one day we'll 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 make it right." And like years later, they came back to that same place and they gave the guy like a like a full year's salary, hmm. um, to kind of pay him back for for helping him out. So, oh man, that's cool. Uh. That was a cool story when they were kids. Uh, I don't know who those kid actors were, but they did a really good job. <laughs> yeah, this that was their acting debut, their voiceover debut. I bet they loved doing that. Oh yeah, yeah. Th- <laughs> those are my kids. Those 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 were my 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 two older boys. Uh, they're eight and six, so thought it was kind of fitting to to put them in there. Indeed, that was great. Uh, well, cool. Uh, that's such a cool story. 
very, very interesting. You know, our stories weren't too far off time-wise, you know. Mine was yeah. the late 1700s and yours was the, uh, the mid-1800s. Mid so one generation away, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just so crazy. I mean, there's... And there was so many other good stories out there um, and, and and kind of brother duos that I looked into. I mean, I went back and forth and there was kind of the there was two brothers that kind of started the Roman Empire. And mm-hmm. and I, I looked into those and and I had already done the Wright brothers. And so yeah. that one was already taken. And uh, <laughs> and so there's a lot of there's a lot of good, good opportunities out there. And really kind of the one thing that I that I took from it was. Um, you know, family, family is important, uh, but relationships, right? Relationships are important. I think that you can have, uh, you can have brothers outside of blood, right? Brothers inside of blood as well. Uh, but not everybody has a brother. Um, so just, it, it, it kind of showed to me even more powerfully the importance of, having someone to rely on, having someone to, uh, to lean on in times of need or to talk to in times of struggle or to celebrate with in times of triumph, right? Someone who's going to be happy for you, uh, when you succeed and not judge you when you falter. Um, those are all kind of things that, um, that I, felt as I was as I was reading through the stories of of these different brothers um but at the same point having a relationship with someone that is good enough to where uh you can kind of call each other out on things too yeah and you can say ah you know that's that's kind of wonky or you know oh don't say that or whatever else it may be yeah um it's important to have someone s- like that i think in your life to call BS on some of the stuff you're saying, or at least, at least challenge what you're saying. And occasionally, uh, because if I feel like sometimes nowadays we like with our acquaintances or folks that we talk to, uh, it is often that we don't have deep relationships. I heard something the other day that like, um, the deep relationships that we have is like our meal and then our surface level, like associates and kind of friends that we have at work. That's, just like the sprinkling or the seasoning on the meal. But if you're if you're actually missing out on having deep relationships where someone can challenge you with what you're saying or or you know, you're you're able to connect and share like things that you're struggling with or or bear your soul. Like that, those are the relationships that you need to have and um you have that loyalty between between brothers uh actual brothers is often innate uh because you're a family. Uh, but that doesn't mean they can't be forged with, uh, with others, with other men. Agreed. So, so it reminds me of a, um, a quote that we had from a guest on the podcast that says your vibe attracts your tribe. Yep. Um, and I think that's so true. Building a, a group of like-minded people, uh, that come together to support each other, to become better faster, stronger in everything that they're doing physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, um, as, you know, kind of our goals as, as fathers, as parents, as, as brothers and, and teachers and leaders in the community and, and 
with our families. Uh, I think that we need to, we definitely need to stick together for yeah. sure. That's why this is a perfect creed building episode. Like like all of our episodes, we try to build that build your creed, and uh, I think that's uh, this is a great way to end this episode. That uh, if you don't have a relationship or a bond with someone like that, uh, go out seek it out, uh, seek out those men around you that are uh, looking for opportunities. I think a lot of guys are looking for uh, deeper relationships. Um, invite a guy out to go do something. Invite someone to the range. Invite someone to go. Uh, Check out that movie you've been wanting to see. You know, Ethan and I are doing Creed. We're doing Creed three uh, this next month for our movie review. We're definitely going to see that together. Oh yeah. So, uh, if you don't have that with someone, go invite someone and let's build our Creed together. All right, let's do it. <laughs>